You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 107, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. Follow my work at BleedingGreenNation.com. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Street. Hello. Without a bad day, he is Benjamin Solak of TheDraftNetwork.com. Follow him at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, it's been a while, brother. How you doing? Yeah, every day is a good day to be alive. It has been a while, but this is because as you transition in your upward trajectory to like overlord king of all podcasts in the world, (laughs) you keep on bringing on other people to talk to that are not me, which I promise I'm not reading anything into that. I don't take that personally. I don't have those names written down on a list that I stare at late at night when I can't sleep. Nothing like you that say happening. it's me. It's the other way around. You're the ascending young star. <laughs> I just, I was it. You say this, but then what do I do with my time, Michael? <laughs> I retweet Danelle Pumphrey training camp quotes. That's all I do. So let's not pretend, all right? Like I, like, oh, that's your ascending young star. I just, I search Danelle Pumphrey once every hour on the hour, see if there's no update, all right? <laughs> this is not ascending stardom. This is just pitiful obsession. So Donnell Pumphrey is is back in, in your life. Sidney Jones and Camus are back for me as we He's never gone. He's never gone. I fooled everyone <laughs> with the Boston Scott red herring yeah. with the redirect, little wave over here, misdirection. It's like a magic trick, knowing... That getting the uh, spotlight off of Donnell Pumphrey was all he needed to shine. So, Ben, before we get to the main topic of the show, <laughs> which is... <laughs> so sad. Okay. Yeah, part two of our Rams Eye on the Enemy installment. Maybe we should just just go right there. But we're going to take a look at the defensive side of the ball and give our final predictions. Uh, we did the offense on the KNS 106. You know, we haven't really got any of your Eagles training camp observations on this feed. And I wanted to open the floor up for you to speak on any big takeaways that you've had so far. Fire away, brother. One, Carson Wentz has not done a single thing wrong, <laughs> from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like every every national guy who goes there, like Orlovsky, O'Hara, Jeremiah, right. it's just like, wow, dude looks amazing. Which, I will say, to the extent to which looking good in training camp matters, I, I don't really know how much stock we put in that, but I will say... It's not just like, you know, Eagles beat to go to Eagles training camp every year. Those are fellas who've been going around and been in multiple training camps, multiple uh, teams. They've, they've watched training camp from different perspectives, et cetera, et cetera. And so I like it when that happens. So number one, it's all good news about Carson Wentz, which is, which is like not bad. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really think like all good news says anything great, but the alternative right. is shakiness, like, you know, dra- power drain, like lack of mobility and stuff like that, which is bad. So, you know, we're, we're on schedule here. The number two thing that is... That like this podcast, we should just 
Like, just put an Irish jig music over this entire segment right here. <laughs> They're running 12, Mike. Yeah. Mike. Mike. They're talking Mike. about it. They're running 12. Everybody's talking about it. Wentz is talking about it, saying it's difficult to, to prepare for. Gro's talking yeah. about it. Like, they're all talking about it, yes. and they're all opening Mike up. Rowe, listener of the podcast. Yeah, they all are. Mike Rowe, storied fan of the podcast who has changed his offensive mentality because of how much he listens to the podcast, Mike Rowe. Did you hear Brandon Lee Gowton's story about Howie Roseman, how we found out that he's a BGN reader slash listener? We, 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 we call him BLG Brandon Lee Gowton now. We're doing the full thing. May he forever reign, but, you know. I, I, May he forever reign. Wait, no, I did not. What was this? BLG had a quote about a compensatory pick situation with LJ Fort and Andrew Sandejo saying we could get not only the comp pick back, but whatever the trade value was for them. Howie Roseman saw or heard this, told Jimmy Kemsky, BLG is like 15 feet away taking a picture of the two standing together. And then Jimmy comes over. I saw the photo. Yeah. Jimmy comes over and says, hey, uh, Howie, Howie had this to say about uh, about your comp pick thing that, that you were wrong. So now we know. BLG was wrong, but now we know. So because Howie Roseman made a comment about comp picks that BLG wrote about, I can say with 100% certainty that Mike Rowe listens to this podcast. Oh, yeah. All right? Definitely. And – with 99.9% certainty, not unlike hand sanitizer, I can tell you that he's adding more 12 personnel because we told him to. We told him to very emphatically, and we did a great job, and I will expect my Super Bowl 54 ring at the earliest convenience. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we were unsure. We were skeptical of the degree to which the Eagles would really go in on 12 personnel, considering the investments they made at wide receiver this past year, adding Deshaun Jackson, drafting J.J. Arcega Whiteside. It seems like 12 is still going to be a big part of the offense, and it simply boils down to the fact that you, at this point in his young career, need to come up with an excuse to get Dallas Goddard off the field. It's no longer how can I get him on. It's by what machinations, by what other player, what other concept can I convince myself to take him off? Mm. He's becoming a, a what it seems to be a staple part of the offense and their their key package, their most successful package last year. And so twelve personnel is very exciting. Three, um, I don't really care how productive he is. I don't really care what happens in the offense. I don't really care what happens with the season. When Deshaun Jackson catches his first eighty yard touchdown, I'm gonna lose. Well, seventy five probably. I'm gonna lose my freaking mind. Just it's just like like all this Djax hype in training camp is just. I mean, it's grabbing 14-year-old Ben by the heartstrings because, like, it was just Deshaun. Every year, like, however good the Eagles were, it didn't really matter. Like, they had Jackson, and just, like, Jackson was everything. Like, Jackson was just the most fun player. You wanted to be Deshaun Jackson when you were playing junior high football, right? Now, you weren't because you were smaller than all the other boys, and they were mean to you. But you just wanted to be Deshaun Jackson. And so, I like, that's, that's a thrilling thing. Uh, number four, and this has uh, dialed down a little bit, but that first day... With all the Josh Sweat quotes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was feeling some sort of way, Michael. Lane, I was feeling Lane it. Lane hyped him up. Lane also, by the way, at the OL Mastermind Summit was hyping up uh, Joe Osman like big time too. So like Osman and yeah. Sweat are getting big hype right now. Thing is like Osman's always been a technician. He was that yep. at Central Michigan. Like the dude knows how to execute a rush plan. It's a question of, all right, you're not long. You're not super strong. You're not super quick. And so, you know, you can get it done going up against guys who make technical mistakes, but against elite offensive tackles, Osman does not profile as an effective rusher. And, you know, if you can't beat the best, then you're not super valuable for NFL teams. Now, great in practice so far. Like, if Bailata becomes a thing, he's going to owe Osman millions of dollars wow. because it's going to be the amount of correction Osman did just by being opposite yep. him and rushing against him effectively, like being a good practice squatter, and there's value there. But with Sweat, it's, you know, there seems to be the added mass 
There seems to be retained, if not improved, explosiveness. And there seems to be better execution of, of, of schematic understanding of rush plan of how to win off that first step stuff that we've talked about that he needed, um, which is all fantastic news for the brand, number one, Josh Sweat fan. For the Eagles, number two, because they need that, that defensive end depth. And then the best part was when Sweat had that quote about missing Chris Long and Michael Bennett, but wanting to take their snaps. And then Chris Long responded on Twitter with, what, my nine snaps a game this year? And he was like, no, but I like Josh Sweat. I like pick up Josh, <laughs> which is just quite funny. Excited about Josh Sweat. So those are my big four. I will say like five with an asterisk is I, I wish I could get on this Sidney Jones is 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 going to be good this year trade. And I at no point have I ever believed Sidney Jones did not have the talent. You know, just I'm just waiting for when once he's healthy, he, I'll believe that he'll be healthy. Coward. You know what I mean? Coward. You're a coward. What, what do you want from me? You're, I want. You, what do you I, want from me? I made it very I've, clear. I've heard this tune before. I, I made it very clear what I want from you. Oh, and wait, <laughs> I we, I promised the people of the internet that we would discuss yeah, this. Go. Quote: Jimmy Kemsky at Jimmy Kemsky, friend of the pod. Mm-hmm. Clayton Thorson just launched one of the worst throws I've ever seen in a training camp practice. What? <laughs> Is he doing here? Oh, we've been talking about it all throughout the training camp recaps. Bad, bad, just bad. Why? Why? Like, and and here's the and here's the interesting thing. This is the critical, fascinating. The thing. critical, fascinating thing to me is I told you he might not make this roster after we drafted him, and you laughed at me. Laugh now, Ben. He's okay. Number one, he's still going to make the roster. Mm. Number two, I'll tell you why he's going to make the roster because of the interesting, fascinating thing. You want to know what the interesting, fascinating thing yeah. is? We knew this. <laughs> we knew it. Yeah. We knew. Facts. Everyone knew. Facts. I knew. You knew. Your mama knew. <laughs> my mama knew. What everybody knew. This is what you watch. You watch him play football at Northwestern. <laughs> he's not very good. Yeah. And he comes to the NFL. Was he gonna be better? Yeah. He's not. This everybody knew. Everybody knew that he was gonna be bad, and now he's out there being bad. And yet somehow I'm still offended by this <laughs> because you know I take it personally when the Eagles don't draft players that I like. Right. I don't know why he's here. I'll know why he's retained when he's retained. I'll just be indignant about it regardless. Yeah. I, I think they still at the very least subject him <sighs> to the practice squad waivers. It, it's God, it's been very, very bad from what we've seen from everybody. No positive yeah. reviews on Thorson. So that's been Ben's recap training camp takeaways. Do you have Orlando Scandrick thoughts? Orlando, yeah. I mean, I thought he's he brings outside inside versatility. I think he's got stuff left in the take. He's got an yeah. injury history. I think with what's going on with a Blanc. I can't trust that he's going to be ready week one because it sounds very similar to the Jalen Mills situation. Not saying it is the same, but that's that's a uh, concern that I've expressed. Uh, I have no issue with bringing him on, and I think he's actually got, depending on what happens with injuries and when guys are available, I think he's actually got a, a shot to make this roster, and I'm not I'm not mad about it. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I went through some of his film, and he's just the definition of uh, he plays football. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing that's really thrilling. Yeah. Um, but that's fine because when you're going to be a veteran depth gar- uh, corner, I just want you to get out there and execute basic coverages. And like, I'll put it this way. He very much profiles to me as a player who would not mess up flat responsibility on fourth and 15 in overtime against the that's Titans. That's all you need. Or against the Titans. Against the Titans. It's a big win. Big yep. win. Because, you know, if you actually need to put him out there in the field, he won't be a massive coverage liability who will lose you football games. Yeah. That's a big factor for me. So, yeah, I'm totally fine with the Skandrick signing. And uh, like I said, yeah, yeah, make the team. We'll see what happens. And we'll see what happens with the health. A lot of these guys in the defensive backfield, you know, Darby's still got to get back to full health. Mills has got to get back to full health. LeBlanc's got to recover from this new injury. So we'll see if anything else happens from there. And we'll, we'll keep you updated. Of course, me and BLG have been doing the daily training camp updates. We'll have another one 
for you. Well, no, it's Friday when this is dropping, so we won't have that, but we'll have one for you Saturday. We're doing one every day. So keep an eye on the feed. Make sure you smash that subscribe button. And Ben, let's dig in to the main topic of the show. We did the Rams offense on the KNS 106. This is part two of their Eye on the Enemy installment, which we had to split up because we had so much to talk about on the offensive side of the ball. I think things are much more straightforward on the defensive side of the ball. And just to lay some groundwork, Wade Phillips, pretty doggone good DC. Uh, Still not the most talented or deep defense uh, last year, total DVA via Football Outsiders, they were 19th overall, 28th against the run, 9th against the pass, 20th in points per game allowed, 7 out of 16 games with 30-plus points allowed, prone to boat races, and also getting gashed on the ground. The reason we put so much on the offense in our series is because we don't have much faith in this defense, and you look at who they held under 20 points last year, and I'd say that the only time they held a good offense under that mark was in the Super Bowl, which didn't matter because the offense only scored three points, and that score was closer than the reality, in my opinion, after rewatching it recently. So, Ben, general thoughts on this defense before we get to, like, a more granular level. Last year, the plan was, listen, let's bring in a bunch of veterans, guys who we know have produced in the league, who will be able to win one-on-one matchups, make our defense effective enough that we can win a Super Bowl. And everything worked until that last bit. And now, in some cases, you're stuck with veteran players who I do not think are necessarily top-flight players of their position anymore. Thinking about guys like Akeem Tlaib and Marcus Peters. You've gone, not like bargain bin hunting or anything like that, but you're... You're bringing like a guy like a Clay Matthews because you just have no one to play off-ball linebacker when Clay Matthews, number one, was not originally an off-ball linebacker. Number two isn't very good uh, anymore. You know, he's old. He's, he's, he's 30s plus. 32, I think he is. And then number three, you're not in a, in a cap situation where you can be attracting the, the really high-priced free agents that would probably want to come play in Los Angeles because it's an incredible location. You have one of the most player-friendly coaches in the league and you have Super Bowl potential. Right? And so this defense is undermanned, period. Now, let's say you were stuck with an undermanned defense and you had your pick of defensive coordinators to go handle it. Wade Phillips would be on the short right. list, right? So, so you're in a good spot there. And then the whole, you know, when they write the book on McVay, no matter how many Super Bowls he wins, no matter how many things he does, what will be written is McVay, unlike a lot of NFL coaches who are very good at designing one side of the field, had the wisdom to just give control of the other side to somebody who was better right. at it, right? Like Wade Phillips had his stint as a head coach in, in, in Dallas, wasn't super great for him. Just let him go and like do what he did well to get him that, that job. And just, he'll be in charge of the defense. McVay will be the head coach, but he'll be in charge of the offense. And there's an equality there that, you know, it's tough to strike. But if you get it right, as I think the Rams have, you have a really good synergy between the two units and between the two coaches. That being said, Wade, we talk about Phillips-based defense, and, and Eagles fans will be familiar with Phillips again from his time with the Cowboys. Obviously helped bring the Broncos to a Super Bowl, and very famously at the time which Vaughn Miller was becoming a big deal, and now here he is in Los Angeles. People will be familiar with the Wade Phillips defense know that we're talking about a, a, a 3-4 front. We're talking about an odd front, and then we're talking about man coverage behind. We started in the, started in the front. Uh, an odd front means we've got an odd number of people up on the line of scrimmage. So t- typically three, four. You think about three guys on the line. With Phillips, it's regularly five. Yeah. F- he wants to play what you would call oaky fronts or bare fronts out of the three, four. And that's where your outside backers are lined up as wide nine techniques, potentially hand in the dirt, potentially in stand-up situations. You know, like Connor Barwin was a, was a wide nine, three, four guy. He wanted to put his hand in the dirt. 
he wanted to be down in that tilted stance. So it doesn't have to be stand-up outside linebackers. Uh, and then we, we're, we're typically working as a, a nose and two ends, a nose being frequently Donald, ends being guys like Brockers and Sue. Uh, or excuse me, when they brought Sue in, they would put Sue with the nose and Donald at the end, and they would kind of switch them around. But these three guys are going to be lined up somewhere inside the tackle box, somewhere from the four-eye technique, so inside short of the tackles to the inside. What we're doing here, we're presenting five rushers off the line. If you want to go uh, empty, if you want to go five routes, if you want to go base protection, well, I've got five guys on the line. You've got to go hat in a hat, mm. right? You have to just big on big. you got to block, man block the whole way, which means Aaron Donald is going up against one person, yeah. which there is not one person in the league that you want going up against Aaron Donald one-on-one. Now, you watch what the Patriots did to the Rams and this front in the Super Bowl. The Patriots issued, avoided at all costs, hat and a hand blocking. Very irregular for them to put five guys into the route concept. And even if they did, you would have check releases, and you would have late releases from backs and from tight ends, such as to allow for slide protection and for the pickup of blitzes. Phillips will man blitz, um, but he doesn't want to bring six, seven. He's not like an empty blitzer. He wants to bring five from a different spot and potentially drop some of his outside backers. That's the way the front's going to work. Bringing in Sue was supposed to dictate one-on-ones for Aaron Donald. It did. He's gone. Michael Brockers can't do that. He's a fine player, but firstly, he's an end. He doesn't have the same threat from the inside. He's a 3-4 end. He wants to play over the tackle's head, and he can't do that. He's not enough of a pass rusher. Your options now are Greg Gaines, drafted from Washington, or Sebastian Joseph Day from Rutgers, originally from Stroudsburg High School. Shout out, Bash. Hey. Big fan. He was a senior when I was a freshman, and my sister was a junior, and he knew my sister... And then one day he said hi to me, and I lost my mind. <laughs> anyway, these are your two options at defensive tackle. Neither of them are pass rushers. Yeah. So your ability to dictate man on man blocking, hat on a hat blocking with Donald now, has decreased because you lack the interior threat that, that prevents him from getting double teams when you only bring four. On your outside, you brought in Dante Fowler, who Fowler's a weird idea for the Rams because he's better than anything they had. But he also was traded from Jacksonville for a reason. It's that he's not great. Like he's fine. He had two sacks. Like he's, but he's not for the Rams. Right. The thing is, like, the thing is, like, you know, like, like people bring up, like, all right, well, the Rams have Fowler now, and like, yes, they do, and they didn't have Fowler earlier, and they're better because they have Fowler because he was better than Samson Ebukam, and he was better than uh, uh, John Franklin Myers, who I kind of like, but he's better than John Franklin Myers is right now. Yeah, but he's also not great. Yeah. Like he's not a he's not threatening most starting tackles one on one off the yeah, edge. He's not a difference maker. And so. If we're not bringing simulated pressure, and they have the safeties to do it, which we'll get to their, their defensive backfield in a second, because I think that's a really interesting aspect of this defense right now. So if they're not bringing simulated pressure, they're not in a, a conducive pass rush situation, yep. which is bad, because you have to. And I feel like I can say that with, with the necessary vindication, with the necessary emphasis. You have to be able to rush the passer to have a successful defense. Yep. In, in 2019, you have to be able to get quick pressure. And, like, Donald is the first piece that any team would select if they wanted it. Right. But pieces two through seven, they don't really have. And their blitz frequency, I mean, it dropped last year. They, they ranked 25th at 19%. It wasn't very effective. 23rd overall for DVOA. Uh, the previous year, they blitzed sixth most. So some change there from Phillips. It, di- it didn't work last year, and it didn't work with the regular rush outside of Aaron Donald. And when you kind of look at w- what this team was, and you mentioned earlier the, the addition of veterans like Sue, the Rams' defense this year added a couple of vocal veterans and guys that Wade Phillips will love in safety Eric Weddle and linebacker Clay Matthews. 
Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports, and there's context here that we'll talk about, but Robinson essentially said that there's an addition by subtraction with Sue, which might sound weird, but Sue coasted through the regular season until finally turning up for the playoffs last year. And word is he was difficult for defensive line coach at the time, Bill Johnson, to handle. Johnson was eventually replaced by Eric Henderson. But that was something that we were talking about before the preseason when we did this Eye on the Enemy series last year, the meshing of personalities that they were bringing in. And you could throw in problem child Marcus Peters into that mix. We weren't sure how that would bear out, but it seems this this offseason that they focused more on adding character guys that may have lost a step potentially, but don't offer the same set of challenges regarding team culture. And look, you, you take a swing on something that doesn't always hit and you learn from it and you adapt and that helps guide you with how you operate in the future. So I personally, I like the the Matthews and Weddle signings in response to that when you consider all those factors. And just from a talent perspective, I thought Weddle, who just turned 35, had plenty left in the tank throughout last year. The 33-year-old Matthews, on the other hand, was unproductive with his lowest sack total of his career at 3.5 on the year. Now, he right. does bring that positional versatility, that off ball, can put his hand in the dirt, can line up on the edge, all that stuff. So I think Wade Phillips is going to have fun moving him around, using him as a blitz piece. They might, you know, up that blitz usage that, that went down last year. But when you're looking at where do the sacks come from, where does the pass rush come from? Donald had 20 and a half. Sue had 4.5. After that, you're, you're down to Corey Little, Littleton with four, Ebukam with three, Fowler with three once he joined the team, Franklin Myers with two, and then everybody else with, with one. I just don't understand where the pass rush for this team is going to come from. And you really, you look at the, the rest of the team around Donald, they're either overrated or they're just not like solid pieces. Like Marcus Peters right. was kind of bad last year had a very shaky year don't and don't like don't 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 say that to me because it devastates me because i was such a huge fan of marcus peters but unquestionably he was not good at football yeah. last year. and we talk about it all the time with if, if somebody's going to give up yards and give up plays and bust every now and then like peters was apt to do throughout his entire career by the way even when he had like the big pick years right. he had the big pick years he didn't have the big turnover production last year. Right. So if you take that away, then what are we looking at? We're looking at a cornerback that gets burnt and then also gives zero effort against the run. Like just bad. like there were times where I was yes. watching. I'm like, dude, you got to get your head in the game. What are you what are you doing? Man? Like you could see why the Chiefs wanted to move on from him. Akeem Talib was effective when he was in there, but he's older, only played half the season. So Akeem Talib has never played a full season in his career. That's, Learned that when I was studying for this podcast. That's wild. He's 33. That's wild. I mean, yeah, didn't he deal with some suspensions when he was uh, in, in? Yeah, so some of those suspensions, right. some of it was like, you know, 15 for 15, like he missed the game. Others, like, you know, he had a back-to-back -to -back year stint where he was missing like, you know, double-digit games thing is he's never had a full season yeah. and that's just like after you play 10 seasons and you've never had a full season i'm here to tell you you're not going to have a key to lead for a full yeah. season uh, yeah exactly i'm statistically certain yeah. and look at the depth like this is one of, and this is a reason like a bigger reason for their regression i think and i and i mentioned this with evan silva earlier in the week but they're the healthiest team in the last three years what happens to this defense if Aaron Donald goes out for a stretch? What happens to this defense, <laughs> right? Like, what happens to this defense if, if Peters goes down for a stretch? Tlaib goes down for a stretch. Mm -hmm. John, John Johnson. Any of those guys, if they miss significant time, look at the depth behind them. Like, other than maybe the, the rookie Taylor Rapp, who uh, I'm a fan of, where is the depth along this defense that says, oh, yeah, this guy can step in for uh, one of their solid starters, one of their key pieces, and you won't see much drop off? I see a big drop off. Yep. That's one of my main issues. You want to play a game with me? This is a game that I think is fun to play to illustrate where this Ram defense is at right now. Let's go. 
All right, defensive depth chart, defensive roster. Best player is Aaron Donald. Who's the second best player? Lee. <laughs> I mean, right. with the way they played last year. There are options. Right, there are options, yeah. but it's not an easy pick. Is it? Is it Weddle? I thought Weddle out of all of them played the best out of all of them. Right. I think it's it's between Weddle, Brockers, and Nickel Ruby Coleman. Yeah, I agree. Right? Yeah. Nickel Ruby Coleman had a good year last year. Despite all the yeah, controversy, Roby Coleman is just an objectively good nickel defender, yeah. and that's very exciting. Which actually transitions nicely into what I want to talk about. Which okay, you're starting to leave on the outside, like that's agreed. It may not be the best situation. You're starting Marcus Peters on the outside for sure, and you're starting Nickel Roby Coleman out there in in in, uh, in the slot. You're gonna put Weddle in the backfield because you lost Lamarcus Joyner to the Rams, which like or to the Raiders, which Loki is a big deal because Lamarcus Joyner can absolutely fly, and Eric Weddle. Like there's so many reps where I was like. What the heck? He's, Lamarcus Joyner is so small and so good. Plays like and I really appreciate that as a small man. Anyway, <laughs> John jo- uh, John Johnson III, who I also like and I thought played well up in the box, is also going to be flitting around. You draft Taylor Rapp in the second round. Okay, I just built out your dime package. We love to laud the Chargers for what they did with six and seven defensive back sets, especially when they were out there doing it with like three, four safeties. Listen, when you're playing dime with these six, when you're just playing nickel with these five, and your one linebacker is Corey Littleton, <laughs> who's maybe 230, you're just doing what the Chargers are doing. Time, yeah. And that's the thing. is like I think this is why I said I think this is interesting to talk about. The Rams come out in, in five-man front sets, which are hard to run on, yeah. right? Five guys on the line. It's not easy to block that up to get into the second they level. They get run all over on. Right. And now they put Littleton and Josh Johnson slash sometimes Lamarcus Joyner last year. And then also, I'm assuming this year's would be some Eric Weddle or some Taylor Rapp as well. Right. So we put these guys up into the line, up into the the, back, the defensive backfield, like into the linebacker spots, like that area of the field. Corey Littleton is also there. Cannot emphasize this enough. Corey Littleton is maybe 230 pounds. He's going to be like 12 pounds heavier than Rap. Hmm. Okay. And then you're playing behind them with, at the time, was LaMarcus Joyner. Now it's going to be Eric Weddle. You're going to have John Johnson playing the overhang. And then you're going to have your three corners who are locked in. I mean, this is a 3-4 defense that plays six guys regularly in coverage. All six of them are basically defensive backs. Right. They just don't put linebackers out in the field yeah. at this point. And it's, like you said, they get run all over. And they do. But... I think that if anybody would acknowledge the fact that it's okay to lose by running, it's the defensive coordinator who works opposite Sean McVay, who, you know, no one has more of a run game to set up my pass game mentality than McVay does. Now, the extent to which that's a valid thought process has been debated many times by analytics Twitter, and obviously they have an effective run game as well. The Rams ran the ball like third most out of people in the league last year. Now, a part of that's going to be game script, of course, but they were effective running the ball. The thing is, I just think that Wade Phillips, I think, is very fine losing to the running game. Mm. Now, you know, when he played the Eagles in 12 personnel, it didn't go great for him. But he's clearly okay with the idea of saying, we're going to be light in the linebacker roles so that these guys can bail and cover my my short zones. Because when Wade blitzes, and this will be very interesting to see if this continues with Weddle, because you could definitely do it with Joyner. I think you can do it with Weddle, yeah. but we'll see. When Wade blitzes, he's very content to let Joyner cover sideline to sideline, deep middle, and then bring zone defenders into the rat, bring zone defenders into the hole, bring zone defenders into the shallow middle of the field, and say, I'm going to try to attack hot routes on slants, and he's also going to buzz guys down to the flats. I'm going to try to attack hot routes to the flats when I bring blitzes, because I'm going to get quick pressure, and I'm going to generate quick turnovers. And then other than that, he's running cover one. Yeah. Other than that, he's just running cover one. Like He runs four cover shells. 
and he just does it out there with with six defensive backs with six safety. So this is very much so what we go bananas cream pie over the Chargers doing. And it took teams a little longer to figure out to run the ball in the Chargers. But once the Patriots figured it out, you know what I mean? Like they ran the Chargers up and down the field. They also passed the ball up and down the field, but that's just the Patriots. That's just what they do. You know who's going to do that to the Rams next year? And they did it last year. Seattle. Yeah, absolutely. Right. (laughs) So we basically have in this, in this circumstance, a three, four front. That's very boom bust. Mm. Most people aren't running three, four fronts anymore. Presents a good threat with the passers turns and the hat and hat blocking, but you lost the foil to Donald, and so now it's going to be harder to generate that one-on-one pressure. Yep. And then we have very boomer bust secondary behind it in terms of playing man coverage with highly aggressive man corners and Akeem Shalib and Marcus Peters. Plus, you can't really defend the run. Yeah. So <laughs> what? What's your defense? Like, where where am I hanging my hat on? Right. Because it can't just be Donald. Yeah. That's where I like that. That's kind of where I want to end up here. It's just like there will be games where the Rams defense stymies a good a bad offense, and people will be excited about that. But this team is not going to be able to hold pace with the top offenses in the league. Yeah. I don't see this defense hanging. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you look at the games where they allowed under 20 points. It's the Raiders, the Cardinals, the worst coach team in the NFL last year, the 49ers after Jimmy G had already been down, the Lions, who were str- struggling all year, the Bears, who don't have a good offense. And I keep saying it because their quarterback stinks. And the Arizona Cardinals again. So, like, what are we talking about here? And then the Patriots in the Super Bowl, that's like the one aberration to that where they got, they still got whooped that game, but whatever. So, that's our thoughts on the defense. I want to get to final predictions. We're going to do that after the break here on the Kissed and Solak Show, episode 107, Eye on the Enemy Rams installment, part deux. We'll be right back. We are back here on Bleeding Green Nation, the Kissed and Solak Show, episode 107. Michael Kissed. Here with Benjamin Solak. Ben, I've already given my prediction with Evan Silva. Go back and listen to that BGN radio special with him. If you have not heard that yet, we covered 11 teams that we either considered fool's gold or hidden gems based on their win totals, their Vegas win totals, the line, all that stuff. So I took the under on 10 and a half wins. I also have a, a fun little monetary bet with Jeff Cavanaugh with the with the under with that. So I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Ben, what do you think about 10 and a half wins for this Rams team? Are you over or under? And then I'm going to ask you, who wins this division? Because I th- personally, I've already said this, I think it's Seattle. But what about you? Well, I, I thought it was Seattle before the pass rush just is now gone. <laughs> Last time I said it was Seattle, Jerron Reed wasn't suspended for six games. And LJ Collier was healthy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, with Collier, do we know? Because I, I know he was carted off, but I think I know he's out for the preseason. Yeah, I think I know that for a fact. Now, if you are a raw rookie <laughs> who's missing the preseason, that's bad. It's not great. So yeah, they reached for him. Listen, as I have always said many times on this podcast and otherwise. Cassius Marsh, baby. It's Cassius Marsh season. Here we go. I also think I don't hate Cassius Marsh, but I uh, yeah, I don't really know where this pass rush is coming from, save for Puna Ford, uh, Puna High forever. Now, I love that. Before we get into this, before we get into this, I know this is supposed to be like evergreen content, content so we don't do too many recent events stuff, but I love that you're getting dragged by BLG right now on Twitter for your Clayton Thorson love yeah. of what you never yeah. said. Yeah, yeah. Listen, <laughs> listen, listen. You little antagonist, <laughs> all right? There's nothing you love more than while we're recording a podcast, <laughs> soliciting 
rabble rousers on Twitter to bother me. So we're in the middle of recording. What BLG said was Cody Kessler comes in for 13 reps. We're recording on on Wednesday, by the way. Cody Kessler comes in for 13 reps instead of Clayton Thorson, who's been bad. I just threw in Ben's at in the replies, and now everybody thinks that Ben is a Thorson lover, which is fantastic. It's now your brand. I comped him to Peyton Manning back in, you know, 2015 Peyton Manning, but now he's your boy. He's your problem. Pass that on to you. I'm obnoxious. <laughs> anyway, I'm taking the under. Oh. I think they win 10. I think they win 10 games. I've been saying that. I think they win 10 games. That's in my take. Okay. 10 games, man, you could either miss or make the playoffs with 10 games. It depends on some factors. You got to win the yeah. division for sure. That's the thing is, I think like, well, like, I think they win 10 games, but if I don't think Seattle wins the division anymore, then they're probably winning 11. You know what I mean? It's the thing of like, Seattle's just so difficult to get a handle on in terms of what's the offensive philosophy going to look like, what's the target distribution going to look like, and then who the heck is sacking the passer. Like, they're just, Seattle's a very confusing team right So now. Evan Silva gave me a note on Seattle, by the way, when we talked, that he said that, you know, he's heard from people that the Seahawks are kind of opening their minds to some analytical discussions about what it's like to actually pass on first down and early down. So that's a plus in my book. Do you know what I... You know what I was like, a, there was a joke that I thought was so funny. I forget who was who said it. So if you know at me, but somebody said that the theory that was levied was that the Seahawks drafted DK Metcalf to force offenses into too high because Tyler Lockett on one side, Metcalf on the other, you can't play single high. Uh, and then they force them into two highs so that they can run the football more easily, which I think is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It's amazing. It's like, listen, let's just draft the, the big speed front on the outside so that we can hand the ball off to Chris Carson into seven-man boxes instead of eight-man boxes. It's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It's incredible. Yeah, so Seattle's don't. I, I, I would love to have more faith in Seattle. I'll put it to you this way. The Rams have had a per Warren Sharp tracking the line movement of NFL teams since the Vegas win totals opened. The Rams have had, I believe, uh, the second largest, maybe the third largest movement down. Mm. So people are low on the Rams. I believe they're at 10.8 and now they're at 10.5 or they're at 10.5 and now they're at 10.2 or whatever it is. Yeah. But they've had, they've had a strong line movement down. So I think Sharps are appropriately skeptical of the Rams and, and a repeat season. But like between 10 and 11 is, I think, really the right spot. So it's tricky, I guess. Like, I'm talking myself into the over right now. Can I give you some reasons for regression that I also gave to to Silva when we talked about it? And maybe that'll change your mind. Bring it back to the... Hit me. Okay. So, number one, fourth healthiest team in the league. Most of your last three years, we've covered that. Bound to regress with the mean at some point. Worry about the depth. Number two, changing of the guard. Literally. And also center along the offensive line. Yes. We talked about this. They have to replace 2,500 snaps. Very similar to the Cowboys a couple years ago when they had to replace all those snaps and had some drop off in their line play. How'd that go for the Cowboys again? Not great. And if Goff gets pressured. Who told them it wasn't going to go great? (laughs) It's not going to go great for Goff either. Number three. Defense has cracked the McVay code. Let's see if they can figure it out. Number four. Six and one. In one-score games, 4-0 and in games decided by a field goal or less. History has shown that that success is hard to replicate the following year, as we cover with the Dallas Cowboys and the Eye and the Enemy installment coming into this year as well. So those are four serious obstacles for the Rams to overcome. It's not the Super Bowl hangover. Actually, teams have shown a high-level success after losing the Super Bowl. I think 9 out of the last 10 have won double-digit games next year. So that's a positive thing going in the Rams' favor. But those four things, to me, really stand out as a reason to hit the under. Okay, I'll take the under, but I don't like it. And fearful. Don't hedge. Don't hedge. Say it with your chest. Under. Yeah. Under, as I have said from the beginning. <laughs> under. There you go. You're going to get a 10. So that is going to wrap it up 
on the Rams, I on the enemy. We had to do two of them because we had so much to get through. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully we don't get owned by this in a year's time or six months time, whatever it is. Ben, we are getting close to the season. We are in full swing here at BGN. Any last words? And would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners? Uh, Yeah, dude, tomorrow is the preseason game. Yeah, the first, well, when we're recording Wednesday, tomorrow's the first preseason game. So it'll be over already because this is dropping on Friday. What'd you think of the game? Oh, shoot. I forgot the recording so much earlier in the week. Yeah, what'd you think of it? Oh, we better hope nothing happens. Do we have takes on it? Broncos 20, Falcons 13. Oh, okay. They're the two teams that are playing, right? <laughs> I guess. I think so. I'm pretty sure it's Denver, Atlanta. And if it's not, just the team who wins 20, the team who loses 13. Oh, I like that. Yeah, so there you go. That's my, my bullet prediction for the <laughs> Hall of Fame game. Love it. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kiss and Soul Act show here on Bleeding Green Nation. We do appreciate you swinging by. As Mike well detailed, it was a healthy week of coverage here at DGN Radio. It has been a shockingly productive week for, like, I guess, like, last week of July, like, people are getting ramped up for preseason. It's training camp. We're doing this podcast. But, like, just the, the, the sheer listenership. Can I tell you, I'm looking at the numbers right now. We're going to break a monthly record for BGN in July. In July. Yeah. And we had yeah. and, and so, we, we really didn't have all that much in the beginning of the month either. Like this is this is this is yeah. we're we're kicking down the doors, baby. We're ready. Here's the most important thing to remember. We are friends. So thank you so much. <laughs> you guys are the best. We really appreciate you. We really appreciate you listening to the show. If you did enjoy the show, uh, you can always leave a five star rating and review on iTunes. If you try to leave any other kind of rating or review, uh, Mike will hop out of your computer and punch you in the ma- in the mouth. Uh, yeah, we like you. Thank you for listening. I'm Ben. Wit. Okay. We all we got. We all we need. What? Okay. We all we need. I really love the slow burn dying out outro. Fly Eagles. Watch you every time you try to talk. Fly Eagles fly. Fly Eagles fly.